0: Hey folks, if you like listening to Stumble Through, there's now a way you can support the show. Click the link in the show notes to make a once-off donation through the ACAST supporter feature. There's no ongoing commitment and you can give as little or as much as you'd like. I love making the podcast and I'd like to keep making it. So even if it's just the price of a coffee, every little bit helps. Thanks so much.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, pause a confirmation watch your face is gonna open some doors you do what you gotta do
0: stumble through hello folks and welcome to stumble through the podcast for young australian adults trying to figure shit out i'm your host paula Arujo. i'm a writer theater creator and marketer and this week we are talking about emotional labor and disability disability with madeline little yeah Hello, hello, lovely Madeline, who has been endlessly patient with me today. (laughs) Could you please introduce yourself for the lovely listeners? Absolutely, I can. So my name is Madeline Little.
1: I am a disabled artist, theatre maker, researcher, currently researching accessible theatre practice. And um, that's kind of me in a nutshell, I guess. I make the theatre and then I try and make it better
0: <laughs> <laughs> you make excellent theater I went to your your show hold um I particularly oh, thank you. oh yeah I I loved the um moment in the show where it was like oh we need drinks and then like drinks appeared and they were like what the power of theater <laughs> it was great you gotta,
1: have, you gotta break the fourth wall at least three times in a show otherwise people won't know it's a show they'll think it's real
0: you know <laughs> It's just, it's just, it's the law. I don't, I don't make it. I just have to abide <laughs> by it. I love it. <laughs> um, have you stumbled <laughs> through anything this
1: week? Oh, honey, I absolutely have. Let me tell you, it's three assignment deadline week. So oh. I have been stumbling my way through methodology like there is no tomorrow. Um, and so I've submitted one assignment and I'm stumbling through the second one, which is you tonight, don't tell my supervisor that I'm taking
0: a little break to uh,
1: do this podcast. Um, is wait, hey, is you Janet know.
0: your supervisor? She is
1: indeed. So she. I love Janet. On. hey. Girl,
0: hey. <laughs> Janet is cool. Um, Janet would be like, "No, see, like you're making the art while taking a break from doing the masters, so you don't go insane."
1: Yeah, she she might say that. She also might say, "Hey, you know all those revisions I sent you? <laughs> 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 Maybe have a look at those." Um, but no, uh, we're in that stage where um, my final paper will coming up for so that show that you saw. I have to write a big paper on everything I've learned uh, through making that show. Mm. And um, that's going to be due um, in, I think, end of August, I think, is when that massive draft is due. So it's Yay. all just some go. Stumbling, stumbling through.
0: Yep. No, I
1: feel you. Uh, I feel
0: you. <laughs> Whoa. Have you stumbled through anything today? Oh, I stumbled through. Um, number one is getting caught in traffic for almost two <laughs> hours. That was that was wow. Oh, it's,
1: it's character building.
0: Yeah, it was character building. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly crushed. Um, I thought that I'd given myself enough time because I had this argument with myself because I was filling out a job application. So I was like, no. You can't leave now because you're just like trying to get out of finishing this thing that makes you feel uncomfortable and insecure. And then turns out uh, that was just the voice of reason.
1: (laughs) Don't you think she comes in at weird times and in weird ways? Like Mm. sometimes you just go, okay, hey, um, where were you yesterday? With this exact same bit of insight.
0: (laughs) Right? Like she's always just a little bit late. Yeah.
1: Oh sometimes you just go, Oh, um, you know, I've got a headache. Why is that? And then two days later, hey, maybe you should drink some more water. Well, where was that? (laughs) When I had the dehydration headache.
0: Oh man, every time. Every time. So every time. Man, yeah. (laughs) Alrighty, so um I just wanted to jump straight into it with a quick question first. Um go for it. So what is the difference between non-disabled and abled in terms of connotations, which is less douchey. Yeah,
1: so there's no real easy answer to this because it's definitely, it's all about the context. So some people with disabilities feel that abled implies that our disabled bodies aren't able Mm -hmm. in terms of capacity. and So they might prefer non-disabled or I've seen some people use the word enabled Um, to talk about people who don't have disabilities. I personally tend to switch between abled and non-disabled fairly interchangeably, but also depending on context. Um, I also try and be more specific depending on um, who is in the room and what I'm trying to say, because someone who is learning disabled may have what's considered an able body, but they may still identify as disabled. So in that case, I'd be like, oh, I've specified able-bodied folks and their stair-climbing ways, you know, just to make it be like, yeah, even, you know, some disabled people can have able, you know, what is considered an able-bodied. Like, I can think the general gist of it is non-disabled would be less douchey. You're mm. less likely to step on toes, um, so to speak. But ultimately I think that language consideration is less of a tricky discussion than the language about disability I- and kind of just choked a little bit, Um, (laughs) disabled um, people themselves. So, you know, there's people with a disability and disabled people. Um, I tend to go with, you know, Madeline is a disabled artist rather than she's an artist with a disability just because, you know, it's it's an an identity trait, really. Um, Mm. It's an aspect of my identity and a lot of people shy away from using the word disabled and we kind of want to nip that in the bud there. Mm. So... That was a really long tangent, but I hope that that was helpful. No, it was really,
0: yeah. And like, I didn't quite connect the dots until you said it, but like having that, um, like with certain groups of people feeling uncomfortable with like identifying as disabled in a way, but yeah, no, that made a lot of sense. Thank you. No, great. Thanks. Um, So today we're talking largely about emotional labor. So um, yay. <laughs> <laughs> it's so light and breezy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get deep. <laughs> yes. Um so I found the original definition and then kind of what it's been broadened to. So I found that um, emotional labor was first coined by Ali Hochschild, I think is the pronunciation. In her 1983 book *The Managed Heart*, and initially it referred to managing one's emotions and effect at work in order to suit the expectations of the job, and that's since been broadened to uh, one which um, Alicia Alicia Grandy gives. Um, I'll just pull it up quickly. Okay, so um, Grandy explains she gives like this sort of example. Um, it's kind of like when you get a gift and you don't really like it. And you have to still smile and act nice because otherwise your Aunt Bernadette will be offended. But you have to do that all day long. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd say it's also like, hey, no, it's also Aunt Bernadette giving you three gifts every single day and then demanding feedback. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but feedback in like a really cheery and appropriate tone. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm um and they also mention that uh not only that but it's explicitly part of your job it's tied to your wages and outcomes and if you don't do it there are consequences like you could lose your job or you could get in trouble and with strangers and it's with strangers for the most part that's since been kind of like not all emotional labor is paid though and I think that that's been a big thing that's come up certainly in like the latest um kind of wave, wave of feminism is like the unpaid emotional labor which is often carried by women in certain contexts. Mm -hmm. Mm. So I just wanted to, like, throw that in there. So we were kind of like, hey, guys, (laughs) just in case you didn't know, here's what we're working with. Here's what you missed on, (laughs) Goy. Yeah. So from what I understand, the problem is not, like, malicious intent. Uh, The problem is a lack of thought which causes harm. What do you think is responsible for this kind of like homogenous understanding of the world and our responsibilities to each other?
1: This was something that I have actually taken the past few days to be kind enough to give me a heads up about this question. Um, Because it's, and this is something that probably is going to be uncomfortable for some people to hear, Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it comes down to ignorance and lack of education, but the main cause here is privilege. Mm -hmm. because if you have never been exposed to the discrimination for example you might hear about that you likely won't know the full story if that makes sense Mm -hmm. then if you think about the power structure at play because like let's face it there is a power structure at play we live in a predominantly non-disabled society that has been built by non-disabled people for non-disabled people um so if you benefit from this structure you're going to be well, you're going to have a skewed perspective, I guess, of how that structure actually harms other people. Like it's like if you like, – this is a weird example. If you and 10 friends went to the same restaurant and one friend got food poisoning, it's like turning to them and saying, well, that's so strange. Tell me exactly what you ate and what your symptoms are and exactly what time because none of us got sick. So oh. even if you're meaning well and trying to figure out because it doesn't make sense to you, kind of going – well, none of us are sick. That kind of response completely invalidates the experience of a person who is changed to a toilet all night after some bad soup. So um I think you know that's that's where the the misunderstanding I guess lies there if mm-hmm. if there was more time to listen intently and try and put that um, defensive energy aside because it is challenging to have your privilege challenge um but if you if you put that defensive energy aside even just for five minutes and then you find out actually no they got the chicken appetizer no one else ate that it's a really quick you know it's a quick yeah. response and it makes perfect sense so let's just listen to them before we you know challenge them or question them or deny them the opportunity to speak even I think if we had more time to listen intently we'd probably have a greater understanding of World and, and and how we relate to each other in
0: the world as well, if that makes sense. No, it does. It it does, and I think. Oh, and I, I just wanted to say thank you again because, um, like, you know, as we were discussing when we were preparing for this episode, like, this is emotional labor for you to like sit down and talk to me about it, and. I am so grateful that you sent through like the resources that you did, um, the Amy Gator one in particular. I took so many screenshots. Like That was so informative, and I'd, like, I'll would like i refer back to them um, later in the podcast, but I just wanted to say thank you again oh,
1: for that. No, it's, um, it's all good. I, I think it just quickly makes all the difference, too, that you were prepared to give me the space to do it as my capacity and my threshold for emotional labour that as well too you you gave me the space to be able to do it comfortably so that made all the difference and honestly not bothered in the slightest happy
0: to help oh thank you and i also like want to i know that we're going to talk about it a little bit more down the track but i wanted to go back to that story about um you know like your friend gets food poisoning and then suddenly like not only is the person who has gotten food poisoning like almost under an inquisition and has to like prove the validity of yeah. you know like the the harm that has been done to them or the you know just the pain that they're in but you know there's that further burden that's placed on them because like the, you know it, it was just yeah um because much they're you're already sick at the same time yeah 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 exactly yes <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah yeah
1: no, yeah it was I I'll be honest I cackled when I thought of that metaphor like it just made perfect sense in my head <laughs> but I also really cackled because We've all been there. We've mm. all been in that situation where we
0: have had food poisoning. This this conversation took a turn. I made it weird. No, no, <laughs> you didn't, man. You haven't. Like, I um, I totally get it. And I suppose the other part is like, okay, well, no, we'll we'll get to that later because we do talk about like um the okay. burden of having to like include yourself later down mm-hmm. the track. So, in question number two slash three, um, so like. Going back to like impact versus intention, let's talk Mm -hmm. inspiration porn. So Carla Findlay talks about how this narrative of disabled people being inspirational just for existing becomes a means for non-disabled people to feel better about their own lives. Mm -hmm. How do you think that um, like able-bodied or non-disabled people can acknowledge the differences and difficulties of moving through the world as a disabled person and applaud that? without being dicks? <laughs> without being dicks. That's
1: a tall ask. Um, I, think, um, I think it says, um, I just want to acknowledge the incredible Stella Young who kind of mm. coined the term inspiration porn and, and put that out into the world. Um, I highly recommend if anyone is listening to YouTube, Stella Young's, up uh, to the podcast, don't do it right now, listen to us, um, <laughs> YouTube, Stella Young's talk on inspiration porn um because she explains it better than anyone else really ever could. Inspiration porn, um, for those who kind of aren't familiar, it's the kind of thing you see, you know, if you're sifting through your Facebook feed and you see a video actually, I can give an example of what I saw today actually. There was a young woman who lives in the south of, you know, the United States or whatever, she got a job at Chick-fil-A, I think. Mm-hmm. Um she's a young woman with Down syndrome. And, you know, her family are cheering as she gets off the phone, you know, with the job offer and everything. And she's really stoked as well. And then the captions are, isn't it beautiful that she managed to do that? And so nice of Chick-fil-A to support someone like her. And this just makes me feel so much better about, you know, my experiences. I didn't have to work that hard to get a job. It's not that hard for me. I should be grateful for what I have. And so it really comes down to identifying what what exactly are you giving attention to or what are you giving time to. If you watch a video like that and you go, oh, that's awesome, she got a job, that's a normal human response. Like that's an achievement to celebrate, right? If you go, oh, my God, that precious young woman, she's so sweet, bless her heart, she got a job. It's infantilizing and that exists to make you feel better about yourself or to, to basically reinforce that power structure that we were talking about earlier. It reinforces, hey, I'm up here at the top of the pyramid and you're about 50 levels down. But, hey, you took a like a slight step up. Good on you down there. That's awesome. Sorry, what was that? I can't hear you. It's too windy up here. Um, that's basically what it is. And the difficulty in that really lies in... I think a lot of non-disabled people think that that kind of material is inspiring and, and it's good to see and blah, blah, blah. I don't know how many times I've had people try and tell me that I'm inspiring for, you know, getting a bachelor's degree, for example. And it's like, hmm, is it inspiring that I got a bachelor's degree and, you know, am using it now or is it inspiring that I got a bachelor's degree um, and, Somehow managed to live with my awful circumstances in doing so. Like there is a difference there and that. So when it comes to, I guess, the concept of applauding, it's really about separating the the reason um, the reason that you're applauding it and kind of going interrogating it a little bit, saying why do I think that I want to celebrate this or applaud that person. Um, You know, for example, I use Carly Sidney as an example. She wrote a great book. She's an excellent writer. Absolutely applaud her for writing a book. Um, But that's, you know, that's what's inspiring about her is that she's a fantastic artist and advocate and she does great work. Hmm. Um, And I think Carly would probably agree that, you know, she's not inspiring just because she's, you know, here. (laughs) She's inspiring because she's got, a range of skills
0: and experiences that are meaningful. Yeah. So am, am I correct in saying, so there's like kind of like you were saying, there's the two parts. It's the reason why um, they're applauding, which kind of comes down to uh, like, it's it's inspiration porn. If there's that comparison, there, if there's that qualifier, like um, to relate it yeah. back to other things, it's like, oh, you're so good for a girl or whatever. Like
1: yeah, it's that yeah. kinda,
0: if you have to compare that achievement to, that of, um, you know, someone who is assumed through, like, our societal conditioning or whatever to be on a higher level in the pyramid than you, and, like, when you compare the two, then you're good, then it's kind of bullshit. Is that kind of the... Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty
1: much, yeah. And, look, there are incredible disabled people out there for whom, you know, my example of getting a bachelor's degree isn't applicable because you know, the education may not be accessible to them because Mm. of tertiary institutions or physical barriers or whatever. So I do want to just be mindful that my experience cannot speak for everyone else's. But, yeah, it definitely comes down to the qualifiers that you use. Like, I'm not (laughs) – I I know I put makeup on the other day and I genuinely had someone – I won't name names – but someone in the arts industry um, say that it was really good to see me out and about, and looking good, mm. and I just kind of went, mm, mm. what does that mean, yeah. <laughs> because I love lipstick, but that doesn't make me inspiring, you know, yeah. it, it makes me pretty, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> I think inspiring. you're pretty without it, because you're so good with oh. eyeliner, like,
1: oh, oh, honey, there's a thing called a quick flick, it's a stamp, I'm giving away all my secrets, it's an eyeliner stamp, I don't even draw it on myself,
0: what, that is- well, well, I have been influenced. You are officially an influencer.
1: Inspiration, (laughs) porn, and eyeliner. What more could you want?
0: (laughs) Now it's time for the Things I've Never Said segment, which is where we accept anonymous submissions and confessions from our listeners on the topic we discuss. So this week we have one submission and it's really beautiful and meaty actually. Um, so the submission is for all of high school and most of my undergrad, I resisted registering with disability services. I just felt like my learning disability wasn't bad enough. I just kept handling things in late and stressing myself out over it all. Last year, I finally did it. And I feel so stupid for letting pride or more likely my shame stop me from giving myself a better chance.
1: Oh, I kind of want to buy this person a coffee Mm. um, and just have a chat because I can relate so strongly to that. Mm. Um, I, I, you know, there's a difference there in that my disability is uh, it's physical. I have a mobility impairment, so mm. there's kind of no escaping. Mm. <laughs> um, but in high school, I, cut a long story short, mm. I was basically um, made to use a mobility scooter to get from every class to class. Mm-hmm. Um, all day every day and so my mobility actually decreased from the time I started in grade eight to the end of grade 12 just because I wasn't moving enough and using my body the way that I could Mm -hmm. Um, and so when I got to university um, and did my undergrad two things happened (laughs) number one (laughs) the disability service office I could not find it I had people tell me where it was. I could not find it. Oh my gosh, I had the same
0: thing. I just couldn't find it. It, it was, was, it was like the room of requirement only I required it and it was not there. <laughs> it was the room of, nope,
1: <laughs> <laughs> sorry, error for it for, but yeah, once we got past that maze, um, the other thing that I had, I I definitely felt like I had something to prove that I, and I was probably, well, what I was 17 back then, um, I felt like I needed to prove that I was perfectly capable of studying of my own accord, didn't need any accommodations, kind of stick it to the high school and say, no, look at me go. Mm. Um, and so I went for, I think, one semester without any support whatsoever. Mm. Um, and then the other thing that bugs me was, number one, just the amount of documentation that required. But anyway, um, I think the, the pride element is something that, I really connect with because pride before you have a sense of disability pride and identity that pride rests in maintaining a state of I guess passing or mm. passing is non-disabled there's something I'm gonna use a big term compulsory able-bodiedness mm-hmm. is a term that's been popping up in my research which basically means you know there's an expectation that society Will be predominantly able-bodied and if you don't meet that expectation that's the problem so there's a certain amount of pride there in passing and fitting that expectation until you reach a point where you're content with yourself I think this, so this person said you know that they felt so stupid for letting pride stop them from giving themselves a better chance I don't think that that's something you can be hard on yourself for because everyone's journey to pride is different mm. everyone's experience with disability and the connotations of of identifying as disabled in whatever way it's going to be different from person to person it also largely depends on the environment that you're in and the people you're surrounded by um you know sometimes i think i think it's one thing to say oh you know i don't have to hand things in late and stress myself out I've, I've learned from that but definitely don't be hard on yourself for not yet being comfortable taking that step that you've now taken if that makes sense you don't know what you don't know until you know it yeah uh, (laughs)
0: what I'm trying to say absolutely and I think you're so right in terms of um like not beating ourselves up for doing the best that we could at the time with the knowledge we had available and like you know what we were working with um yeah hindsight is 2020 but it doesn't serve us if we are like, oh, I should have done this earlier, I should have done it and then like getting down down on ourselves about it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think the best thing that you can do as well, like if you do have some sort of um, residual guilt or shame or whatever those feelings might be, is try and invest that energy into sharing what you do know now Mm -hmm. with people who might need it. Um, There's, that whole concept of be the person that you needed when you yes. were going through something, and Carly wrote her book, wrote, basically wrote the book. I think I think I'm quoting her. So sure, I'll have to message her <laughs> and make sure that I'm not awfully misquoting her here. But she said she basically wrote the book that she needed or would have liked to have read. Um, and I think that that's so important too. I didn't know that I could exist and. Um, advocate for myself and and be proud of myself until other people helped me. So if that's still something that you're struggling with, then you've learned a valuable lesson that you can share with others and that really will help with kind of validating your journey at your own
0: pace too. Absolutely. So in the little bit of time that we've got left, um, when we were prepping for this episode, you were so kind and you sent me a heap of resources And one of them was on how disabled activists are expected to identify issues and to include themselves and to make those pathways available and to educate and to usually do it all without pay or thanks. And if they didn't Mm -hmm. do one or all of those things, there was a sense of, is shame the right word? Like, can we delve into that a bit and talk about how non-disabled people intervene here and or how they can intervene here and empower disabled people without speaking for them?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So I'd say shame is one word, but I think what it comes down to is um, it's an unreasonable expectation that if it's not met, people tend to go, oh, okay, well, it must not be an important issue then. So there's this expectation that if the issue is important enough, well, we should be thankful that we're getting an
0: opportunity at all, so we have to jump through all the hoops to do the thing. Like non disabled people um, so, get a bit bratty and they're like, Well, if you're so upset about it, why don't you just do it yourself? If you love it so much, why don't you marry it? Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, sorry, that really caught me off guard. Um, <laughs> that was beautiful. I, I love that. Um, but definitely. And I think, um, just quickly, I think it's also about reframing the conversation because um, if we just have a look at the the language behind empowering, that Mm. also comes back to the power structure we're talking about. Um, So empower, which um, I looked it up, defined by Merriam-Webster, is to give authority or legal power to. That kind of, unfortunately, it does imply that we don't have the authority to speak on these things, if you think about it. Um, So really what it comes down to is Hey, we're expecting you to do all of this. I'm going to bestow upon you the magic talking stick, and you have five seconds to tell us absolutely everything while patting your head and rubbing your stomach and also climbing upstairs. Um, so go on, we'll show you. So go do that. Um, that's like the best example I can kind of give of that unreasonable expectation, and and um, I guess it's revisiting that notion of okay, well, why why do you feel like um, You know, you you need to empower someone to do that. We have voices. We've got voices and we've got powerful ones. We just need to be granted the space and the time to present our thoughts and words as they should be presented,
0: not within the confines of what is expected of us. Absolutely. I just want to say thank you. And also I am mortified because I think that I just actually did exactly that to you just then. Um, (laughs) Wow. Wow. I have no,
1: no, uh, no, I think there's a difference between, um, you know, hello, I grant you permission to speak now. And hey, what do you think about this? So you you opened up a conversation. Um, I definitely don't feel like you're at the top of the pyramid looking down on little of me. Okay. Um, I, <laughs> I'm I, too I short sure to like look down on of... anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, I feel you. My surname's little. Um, but. <laughs> you know, I think in this conversation, it honestly feels like, you know, you've come down a few runs and set up a couple of deck chairs and we're having a chat over some mojitos. Um, So we're all good there. Um, But yeah, definitely something to just kind of ponder on, I guess, anyone who is listening who is non-disabled or able, um, just to kind of think about how you really don't know too much. And that's okay. Um, Just be prepared to listen and listen in a way that is respectful of the disabled person's time and energy and, you know, Mm. willingness to share too. And you know what? Google is your friend. If you just Google like Mm. disabled plastic straw ban, I won't have to have the same conversation 10 times over about why that's a really, really awful thing and people are going to die because of it. Mm. So there you go. It's a bit of performative environmentalism in um, (laughs) my honest opinion. Um, Maybe just, Stop buying drinks altogether because if your boba tea still comes with a plastic lid and you're sticking a metal straw in, how much of a, how much of a contribution are you really making? Just throwing it out there.
0: Yeah, that is a good point. And like, you know, at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, us getting rid of plastic straws is a tiny drop in the ocean compared to the tons of plastic being made by like just enormous corporations that aren't being taxed for it. We have gotten off topic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We have.
1: <laughs> also,
0: sorry, quickly, ASOS orders. How much plastic comes in an ASOS oh, order? Huh? Just, Just throwing that out and, there. Plastic and retail fashion. Horrific. Oh, Horrific. It's awful. Oh. And that leads us back to... <laughs> <laughs> and that leads us back to disabled leadership. So let's talk about what kind of difference does disabled leadership make?
1: So much difference. I can personally attest to how these spaces immediately become more inclusive and more welcoming and more safe just by having a disabled leader. Mm. Um, I think it's also important, you know, if you think about emotional labor as well, you don't have to expend so much energy on emotional labor when a disabled person is leading the project that you're part of or the organization that you're part Mm. of. I can go to a disabled leader and say, hey, having a bad body day, And we can just make modifications and that'll be that. But if I go to a non-disabled leader, I have to go, hey, this is what's going on. I'm feeling uncomfortable. And then I'll be asked for evidence and Mm. like to justify it. And it's a whole big song and dance. And I know I like performing, but Mm. (laughs) it's it's just a a thing. So um, disabled leadership makes all the difference and there's, A recent um, event in the Queensland sector where an organisation, Access Arts, which is is supposed to be the peak body for disability arts in Queensland, Mm -hmm. um, was recently, um, I think, acquired by a disability service provider, Mm -hmm. and there have been a number of um, you know people within the community who have just kind of gone, okay, well, what are what are the um, implications of this for disabled artists, and had we had more disabled leaders in the sector kind of involved in this conversation. What, how different would the outcome be? And I think it's about keeping disabled perspectives and opinions and experiences really at the forefront of any decision pertaining to disabled people. Nothing about us without us is the official hashtag. You can look it up.
0: Yeah. Um, and
1: it's true for performances, but it's also true for the organizations and. And communities that we work in as well. Um, I I just think disability leadership is possibly the most important thing that we can do for
0: accessibility in any environment. Absolutely, and it's about like you know giving leadership to people who, as someone who you work for, you don't have to explain or justify yourself to or educate as you go through. And then like, yes, yeah. it's, it's just about you know creating space for voices that aren't what we've always had and like evolving from that. yeah. And being being just ready to
1: listen to a different method of communication as well. Mm. You know, there are some fantastic deaf artists, uh, even just deaf people working across all fields who, you know, maybe text is the better way to communicate. Maybe it's sign language. But if you just take the time to listen and listen in their preferred method of communication, and this goes for people who use communication devices or people who are nonverbal in general, um, you're still going to have a lot of fantastic insight. You've just got to be prepared to do things a little bit differently. And disabled leaders are really the best, the most qualified people to show you how to do that and to do so in a way that is respectful.
0: Heck yeah. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with me and for sending me the resources and for teaching me so much. I am so grateful.
1: No, thank you. I'll send you my invoice. Yes. Cool. <laughs>
0: Uh, i'm totally joking i mean look i was like no i i have asked a lot and i have interrupted your evening and your assignment doing quite a lot quite a lot complaining about that (laughs) i'll just be like i'm just gonna shout you a coffee what's your bank details let me totally okay. It's all good.
1: It's all good. That's been a lovely conversation. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Um, Alrighty. So to round us off, um, what would you do if you knew 10,000 people would do the same?
1: You know what? I would go to Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, whichever social media, Mm -hmm. and I would find five disabled artists and advocates to follow. Mm. I think diversifying your social media feeds is a really good way of like um, just learning but like not actively pursuing information. You can just kind of learn as you scroll through your feed and I think that would just be the most amazing thing. The more you're exposed to something, the more comfortable you get with it. So definitely go and follow some incredible advocates.
0: Heck yeah. Well, we will definitely like, I'll post some people that I follow in the show notes that we can follow that you suggest to follow. I think you're so right when it comes to like, following people on social media because then you can also learn without the pressure of feeling like, you know, like it's it's not directed at you. It's not like yeah, you're being attacked yeah. or anything. It's someone sharing yeah. their personal experiences.
1: Yeah, and you're totally not commanding anything of them either. Mm. You're liking them and you're supporting them. And if you're sharing their work as well, it's a really positive thing to mm. do. It makes a lot of change, makes
0: a lot of change, makes yeah. a lot of an impact.
1: Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say. Yes, <laughs> I totally do.
0: Um, Do you have anything to plug and where can we find you?
1: Okay, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is just Madeline Little, so M-A-D-E-L-E-I-N-E. I always trips people up at 30. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, Madeline Little on Instagram, on Twitter. I am at not Madeline, um, (laughs) which is a bit deceptive there, Mm -hmm. um, but just N-O-T-M-A-D-E-L-E-I-N-E. You can find my website, madelinelittle.com. Or you can find me on Facebook as well. Just search up, oh, it's Little Official. And um, yeah, that's where you can find me. I don't have anything um, in the works to publicize right now as we're recording this. But if you follow me on all of those handles, I'm sure there'll be something. So we can go from there. Follow yeah. me, stalk me, um, tell me I look pretty. That
0: would be great. Tell her that she's going to survive her masters. Thank you. Yes. I could really use that validation right now. Slide into the DMs with support. This is what we are asking. Yes. Come now. Support. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no no pickup lines so quickly. Ew, no. Ew. Ew. Ew, 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 ew. ew. <laughs> thank you again so much for coming on and having a chat with me thank you all for listening thanks as always to zane that's not canon productions for producing the show graphics are by claudia pickett music by jessica fletcher if you've stumbled upon us don't forget to rate and review the podcast because it helps other people find us and you can find us on instagram at stumble through pod and facebook as stumble through podcast all right see you soon folks bye